the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. You know, we got, we got to set the record straight here when, when, he, uh, when he kindly and politely says the longest-running talk show. Hey, it just means old. <laughs> just a polite way of saying it. Good afternoon to you. Welcome. It is the Wednesday... March 23rd edition of Lifeline. Hope you're doing well. Good to have you on board with us. we got a jam-packed program tonight. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we're going to talk a bit about the new norm, how to dig out after COVID. And as much as we're getting used to being back about and doing our things again with friends and family and uh, no longer feeling as if we're about to, <laughs> to hold up a bank, right? Um, the new norm also comes with some new adjustments, and some people are feeling stuck. How do we dig out from the impact of COVID and address the elephant in the room, the loss of two years, sometimes even the loss of friends and families? We've got a couple of folks that are going to join us with some insights coming up later on in tonight's program, so you'll want to stay tuned for that topic. Also, an update on the orphan crisis in the Ukraine. Sad to see what's going on as the Russians there, of course, as you know, with bomb cities and villages and hospitals. We've heard very little talk, though, about the impact on orphanages. We'll talk about that. Kim DeBillicourt joins us later on in this first hour. I want to start with a topic that you may find extremely disturbing, and as well you should. I've just spent the last 20 minutes reading through the text of Assembly Bill 2223. And I must tell you, there are moments where I wasn't sure if I was reading through the science of eugenics, the translated edition of Mein Kampf, or a bill authored by, sadly enough, co-authored by my own assembly member, Kevin Mullen. This language inside of AB 2223 is disturbing, if not completely appalling. To give us some more insights, Brian Johnston joins us, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. He is the host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. here on KFAX, author of the best-selling book, The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. And I got to tell you, Brian, this is uh, this is a game changer. This almost essentially says all rules are thrown out the window, even the scant suggestion of protecting life at the cradle with this bill in the language as it now stands completely dispensed with. Tell us more. Well, Greg, I, I know we touched on this before, and you and I had the opportunity a few weeks ago in talking about a quizzical premise, and that is the idea 
in political philosophy that the only way that the government could be established is it must provide unlimited abortions for women. That that's actually a premise of unique political philosophy that's been adopted in certain parts of the world, and we now see it being adopted here. Of course, that political philosophy, it's in ink. People can look it up. That's known as Marxism. And Karl Marx uh, wrote about this from the beginning, that somehow the first of all oppressed classes is women. And it is pregnancy that oppresses women. And therefore, for a woman to be truly a woman, and this is very important that people understand, this is the essence of being a woman. This makes a woman free, and I'm clenching my fist in the symbolic freedom of the revolution. A woman can only be free if and only if she can have an abortion at any time, whenever she wants, throughout the entire pregnancy. This is the premise of Marxism. So when you hear this from radical feminists, whether it be AOC or others that you often see in the demonstrations on the street, they didn't come up with that idea on their own. In fact, if you do talk to women personally, and I know many women that have had abortions, and I know many pro-choice women, the actual abortion itself, and particularly right afterwards, on a personal level, it's incredibly unpleasant. It's not actually a natural desire. And yet... The ideology has said, no, this is what fulfills you. This is your fulfillment as a woman. You cannot be a fulfilled woman unless this is given to you. And specifically, it's ironic, it must be given by the state, because statism, Marxism, that, that was his goal all along, to change government. So now we're looking at a particular package of bills, and we talked about this. Gavin Newsom asked the abortion industry to come forward and to sponsor the opportunity for California to be the center of abortion. And they established the Future of Abortion Council for the whole nation, because, you know, Roe just might get overturned. My sense is Roe will be tweaked. I hope I'm wrong. But, as you know, they're saying Roe may be overturned, and therefore California must be the centerpiece. California must provide pre-abortions, not just for Californians, they already do that for the entire nation and world. So a package of bills has have gone in, 22-23 is one of a whole package of 45 bills. And you can look up their proposal online, the Future of Abortion Council in California. And really, it's written by the abortion industry. But, but you know what? Let me interrupt, Brian, because what what is so appalling by this proposal, and you can read it for yourself if you go on to uh, legislature.ca.gov and then uh, look up the text of Assembly Bill 2223, you'll find out the language goes as far as not only eliminating all barriers to abortion, whether it's performed by a doctor or even self-abortion, it even adjusts the language that would suggest that 
Um, there would be no criminal or civil accountability for, quote, the actions or omissions related to a woman's pregnancy, including miscarriage, stillbirth, abortion, or perennial death. Now, I looked that up, and it refers to the period of time around a birth. It's generally non specific. Some medical guidebooks suggest it could last for even a year. But you look at that and I and I and I read that to myself multiple times and I thought, are they really saying that a mother, for example, could deliver a child, discover that the child, say, has a birth defect, and decide, you know what, I don't want to keep this child. I don't want to have to deal with this and suffocate that child to death. And the law, under the language of AB 2223, would forbid a coroner from engaging in any sort of investigation. I mean, Brian, you and I have always understood abortion to be murder, but this redefines it, suggesting that even after birth, a child's life could be taken involuntarily, and there would be absolutely no repercussions Whatsoever. Now, why this isn't considered to be on a par with the science of eugenics and 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 the mentality promoted by Nazism, it just it it's, it defies one's one's belief. I mean, my sensibilities after I read this, I I didn't know whether to think I, it was reading a page out of the Onion or to take the computer screen and literally fling it out the window. Well, you know that's exactly right, and. Sadly, we have already addressed this same issue, if you recall. We already, as a state, have taken the opposite position because every fire station in the state has a sign on it that shows a baby in someone's arms. And this baby is a symbol of the fact that you should not throw your baby in the trash. If you recall... About 10 years ago, there was this very phenomenon where young women were encouraged to simply get rid of their baby, throw it out. It's quicker. And we've addressed this culturally, but that's forgotten. And the fact is, is that this goes, as you say, well beyond that. And it eviscerates our cultural values. So literally... Every fire and police station is saying, look, we'll, we'll help your baby, don't throw it out. And yet this is part of the bigger, this is one of the package of bills that has said you, to be a woman, must be able to determine, to determine if your child lives or dies. You determine that. That's what gives you freedom. It's not the husband. And again, this is very important in Marxist thinking. Men not have any rights over children. You know, what's shocking about this too, Brian, is the notion that, you know, we often hear talk about um, the maltreatment of animals, for example, and we need to treat them humanely. And yet, and yet we don't even treat humans humanely. We won't acknowledge these as human beings. In the language of this bill, and Kevin Mullen, shame on you. The language of AB 2223 is absolutely debased and appalling. We're going to talk more about it. Brian, 
I apologize that we're out of time here. I, we've just managed to get a lot of people upset, and you know what? So be it. If you're upset by the language and dialogue you've just heard, as you ought to be, if you're a human being in touch with any sense of, of the preciousness of the value of the God-given gift of life, then you ought to think of a bill like this and think, your elected representative is in Sacramento thinking this is a good idea. This ought to be the future of California. This is the way we should treat innocent lives. Wow. Brian will dig into these matters deeper on the Saturday edition of Life Matters. That's Saturday at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. Meanwhile, you can go to CaliforniaProLife.org, sign up, get involved, pray, make a difference. Our humanity is hanging here in the balance. And it may be the only difference between legalized killing even after birth. Simply your voice telling your elected representative, this is too far. CaliforniaProLife.org. Our thanks to Brian Johnson, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When I was in the um, region of Ukraine many years ago, one of the big crises that they were dealing with was the impact of the Chernobyl disaster and many children that had been born subsequent to Chernobyl with pretty severe birth defects, so overwhelming for parents that children were just dropped off in orphanages and there they sat. Um, while the situation in relationship to the impact of Chernobyl has eased as the years have passed, um, the situation regarding a, cr- a crisis amongst orphans today in Ukraine is pretty significant. We've seen Russia bombing cities and villages, hospitals, and um, while many have been impacted by this terror unleashed by Vladimir Putin, the question has not been really answered, and that is to the fate of many orphans in the country. Kim DeBlecourt joins us. She is an orphan care advocate, author of Until We All Come Home, A Harrowing Journey, A Mother's Courage, A Race to Freedom. And Kim, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, to kind of set this in perspective, take a moment, if you would. Um, time is short but maybe you can kind of share the Reader's Digest version of of your own experience in adopting your son from Ukraine. Thank you, Craig. They told us we would be home in four weeks, six weeks at Pops, and I returned home with our son one year later. Mm. So I actually lived in the Odessa Oblast, a Russian sector of southern Ukraine. You are intimately familiar with not only some of the dysfunctionality of the orphan system um, in Ukraine, but I've got to wonder, as you've maintained contacts there, what kind of reports are you getting in terms of the impact that this devastating war has been having on orphans and orphanages? Well, that year changed my life, and I've been intimately involved with helping the orphaned and vulnerable child in uh, that Odessa Oblast ever since. We started our uh, nonprofit work there in 2015, and I've actually just returned from Poland. I've been there for about 10 days. Um, it's much worse than our media portrays here in the United States. 
Poland is totally overrun. But wow, what champions. I mean, I'm so proud of the Ukrainian people and the way they're fighting. And I'm so proud of Poland and the other EU countries like Romania, et cetera, that are stepping up and doing such a wonderful job and taking in this virtual sea of traumatized humanity. And it's all women and kids. I mean, it's that's who it is. You know, anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of these 10,000, 30,000 people filled refugee centers are children. And uh, that's who we're looking to engage with and help now. You know, the, the life rebuilding is going to be uh, extensive. Undoubtedly so. And, of course, to set perspective on this, uh, many of the fundamental reasons why there is such a large percentile of people that are in that refugee status as women and children is because a lot of the men have gone off to war. If not conscripted, they have volunteered to try and and save the country from the ravages of this brutal attack by Russia. And, uh, And meanwhile, of course, the women and the children are kind of caught up in the middle of all of this. And I adjoin you. In, in applauding Poland, they, of course, are not strangers to the impact of an attack by Russia. Folks, I think, perhaps not thoroughly familiar with um, 20th century history are not aware, maybe, that when Germany attacked Poland in September of 1939, coming in from the, uh, the West, Russia simultaneously came in from the East. So they know what it's like to be under attack. They know what it's like to be occupied. They know what it's like to have a significant refugee crisis. And so God bless the Polish people for doing what they've done in in trying to provide uh, as much relief as possible to so many. We're hearing reports, Kim, the numbers as high as two, two and a half, pressing toward three million people that have escaped Ukraine. country the size of Texas. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable to me, Craig. Yeah, it's it's pretty significant and pretty overwhelming. Kim, there's so much to unpack here. Maybe from your perspective, you can you can take a moment and just kind of give us the 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 top layer of ways in which we can be praying for families and orphans in that region and as well what are ways in which, in a practical sense, we can be of help? Pray for the families that don't know what happened to the other parts of their family. Pray for those who have family members that they haven't heard from, that their cities and their areas are constantly being bombed. And there's no way to get supplies in, and there's hardly any way to get news out. Pray for the pastors that are there that are overwhelmed with people right now. Many of the churches are open as long as the church itself is located in a safe situation. Pray that the supply lines stay open. Um, I have people writing me every day begging me for food, for, for medical supplies. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing that the need right now, and I don't know if it's trickling down fast enough, so pray that God opens those and keeps those supply lines open. There are real tangible ways to help, but not, perhaps not the way that we're, we're used to helping. I always believe prayer is best, Craig, as you put right up there up front. But right now, the real need is funding. And I don't know if it's 
funding at the top layer, though, because there hasn't been the trickle-down effect that's needed. I would say if you belong to a church, if you belong to a certain denomination, I would almost think that it might be better to go with people that your church or your denomination supports on the ground in Ukraine and get the money to that grassroots level. They're the ones hurting. They're the ones who have the immediate distribution of uh, things that are needed first. And um, I know that my small organization, we're launching a huge fundraising campaign just for that very thing, groceries, medical supplies, getting people out of the country. Those are the kind of things that's needed right now. If folks want to, um, perhaps their, their church is not directly involved in extended ministry into Ukraine, and they're not really sure where to begin, but their heart has been touched by this significant humanitarian crisis, the largest of which Europe has seen really since post-World War II. How can they get in touch with you, Kim? Uh, Our organization is called Nourished, and that's with an E-D on the end, hearts, plural, dot O-R-G, dot org. And uh, yeah, we've been there for years. I think my first time in Ukraine was 2003, so we have the, the outreach and I really appreciate the time of talking to you about this because I don't know that there's enough media outlets out there letting them know what the real need is right now. Well, and I think at this point we're, we're so overwhelmed by the news reports coming in, the casualties, wondering whether or not Putin is going to unleash nuclear wars and the uh, nuclear weapons, rather, and the implications of that for not only for Ukraine, but quite frankly for Europe and the rest of the world, that sometimes the, the, the practical human suffering, while we're aware of it numerically, um, we get overwhelmed by it all. There's so many facts and figures that are coming at us so quickly. So this is a crisis, to be sure, and we need to underscore the fact that even if they come to a ceasefire and a peace agreement tomorrow, uh, the amount of, of displacement and human suffering and the uh, the attempt eventually to try and rebuild and repatriate will be years in the making. It's amazing how a month of destruction can lead to decades of recovery. Much to be praying for for the people of Ukraine. I mentioned on the program the other day there is a very large evangelical Christian population in Ukraine. These are our brothers and sisters. These are not strangers. And we need to be in prayer for them. We need to be in prayer for Zelensky, for the leadership of that country. Um, none of them are perfect. I realize that. And, and sadly, some people have tried to, to twist information in order to try to make the country as somehow responsible for this attack or having invited it. Just the opposite is true. So be in prayer for Ukraine, for these orphans. If you want to get more information about Kim's ministry online at Nourished hearts.org. That's nourishedhearts.org. And Kim, we'll have to have you back when we have more time. I'd love to hear more about uh, your story and the adoption of your son and the challenges that you faced um, in, in dealing with the, um, the adoption system there in Ukraine. Kim DeBlaycourt, orphan care advocate with nourishedhearts.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back, 536 here on the uh, Wednesday edition of Lifeline. You know, over the course of the last two years, 
we've lost so much momentum. Businesses are attempting to try to dig back out. We're dealing with supply chain shortages. Uh, our, our work life, our private lives have all been disrupted. And as eager as we've been to sort of return to some sense of normalcy as things are beginning to open up and there's greater degrees of, of uh, people that have been vaccinated, so the impact of COVID is being lessened. People that even exposed to it are not necessarily facing a potential almost death end game as we had been, say, this time a year ago. And yet, in spite of all of this, you might be feeling a bit disoriented, a bit like you want things to feel like they used to, but yet they don't. And why is that? And what's going on in the emotional and psychological fallout that is COVID-19? We've been thrown into chaos and uncertainty, and even as we welcome spring into summer weather and the easing of COVID restrictions, what about the recognition of the loss that's been behind us? How do we overcome this sense of, well, collective grief? Insights now from best-selling author Dawn Damon, founder of Braveheart Mentor Coaching. She is a multi-award-winning author and has been a guest on this program many times down through the years. And uh, Dawn, always a privilege to have you join us. What of this sense? I've talked to people that say it's so nice to be back out again, but I just have an unsettled <laughs> feeling. And part of that may be fear of the unknown of the future. Will COVID raise its ugly head again? And, and part of it, I, I would wonder if there's just a collective sense of grief that we're experiencing here that we've just not figured out how to process. Well, hey, Craig, it's good to be back with you once again. Thank you for that. And, you know, it, it was interesting. Recently, I heard a psychologist say that we are a nation of post-traumatic people and that there is so much anxiety going on. us that there's, there's rarely a person under 30 in this younger generation that's not experiencing some kind of incredible anxiety, grief, as you've mentioned it. Our world was turned upside down. And so... How do we get back to normal? And one of the things that I'm coaching and helping women and some men discover is that, yeah, they've become paralyzed. They've really gotten stuck. And now it feels very uncomfortable to get back out and to be social, to take steps. And I say that's where the courage has to come in. That's where right now we have to take a risk and challenge ourselves by doing some uncomfortable things so that we can take possession of our life again. It might be as, as simple as taking a ride, getting out in your car, going out to dinner, trying new food, trying a new activity, exploring a new experience. But we've got to get used to, we've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable and taking some brave steps of action in social settings and in our emotional settings. We. We've lost, I think we've lost the ability, well, I don't know if we've lost it, but we've certainly had it diminished in how to be comfortable in social settings and talking with one another. We've lost eye contact. We've lost the ability to read body language. And so we've got to deep, dig deep down in and pull up our courage and say, I'm, I'm not going to live small. I have to expand my life once again. Is it important from the get-go, Dawn, to also acknowledge the fact that we're feeling uncomfortable? And, and I pose that question because, you know, so often in, in the stages of loss and grief, that sense of denial, that almost 
at least for a season, seems to be a coping skill that we will use. If we don't face the reality of the loss, maybe it hasn't really happened. Maybe we're just having a bad dream. Uh, to, to wake up one day and recognize, well, the world around us has changed. There are people that were with us two years ago that because of COVID are no longer mm-hmm. here, that there are freedoms that we used to enjoy that are no longer here, that there are those that that venture out again and have such a tremendous sense of being ill at ease because they're almost paralyzed by fear. And I'm wondering if a big part of that is just old-fashioned denial. Yeah, I think that's really wise. And they, there's a saying that we use, if you can't name it, you can't tame it. And so, yeah, we have to identify and become aware of what it is that we're afraid of and see if we can isolate some of those feelings and label it. Because, again, if we, if we can't label it, we can't overcome it. We can't banish what we don't understand. So I'm a real big fan of journaling through those fears, of, of journaling around not just, hey, dear diary, I'm feeling afraid, but actually writing yourself a question, what am I feeling? What am I afraid of? How, what is the name of this emotion that I'm experiencing? And then do some expressive writing around that question and answer that question. You'll actually be pretty surprised about what you'll come up with because you're right. Uh, we don't even know that we're in denial. We don't even know that we're subconsciously suppressing and holding things back. And when you give voice to it, you'll you begin to discover some things that you didn't know were kind of percolating down there in the subconscious. Yeah, to be sure. And and maybe being prepared for the unexpected uh, because we're, you know, kind of feeling like fish out of water here. Mm-hmm. Yes. In, in a very real sense, uh, trying to kind of, you know, dip our toe back in uh, may take some time and, and trying to gauge, uh, are we fearful? And if so, what are we fearful of? How realistic are those fears? And then how do we go about mm-hmm. overcoming that fear? And, and and maybe that's one of the biggest challenges here is to not get stuck in the past, but be able to move forward. How do we do that? Yeah, I love that saying. Um, it's an unknown, I believe, author that says you can't sail to new horizons if you're afraid to leave the shore. If if we're not willing to let go what's behind us, it's hard to reach for what's in front of us. So I think one of the ways that we do that, first of all, you brought up a good point earlier, and I do think one of the ways that we do, let's give it dignity. Let's go ahead and grieve and lament. It's the, the crying prophet Jeremiah who wrote the Book of Lamentations, and I do think there's an art there of lamenting and grieving and crying and getting out those emotions. I think that's very valid. And then after we've done that and we've honored what we're feeling and respect what what we're going through as a nation and personally, maybe relationally, maybe people. I lost a loved one during COVID. My sister's son passed away. We couldn't be there. It was very painful had to lament that and grieve that, but then we have to take baby steps to go forward, and especially when we're stuck or feeling afraid. And I just want to say we have more power than what we realize. We don't have to be stuck. We can change things. We can make decisions, do things differently. Like I mentioned a moment ago, it might feel small, 
but you can you can make and you can cook a meal that you've never had before. You can eat something different. You can change your hairstyle. You can rearrange your furniture. But do anything just to safely mix up your routine and change things and and take baby steps moving forward. When I take a small step forward, I I change my perspective, my proximity, and my progress. So it helps me get unstuck. And if you feel stuck and being in that position where you just uh, seem as if there's there's no momentum and as a result you're spinning your wheels, we've all been there, right? You get the car stuck in the oh, mud, yeah. and the more you hit the accelerator <laughs> pedal thinking you're going to dig out, you instead just dig yourself so deeper. deeper. How do you go about creating an atmosphere where you're not just pulling out of uh, being stuck over the last two years, but get that sense of forward momentum. <laughs> We're going to discuss well, um, that coming up around the corner um, with our next guest. But meanwhile, I want to encourage you as you begin to <coughs> pardon me, acknowledge that grieving process and, uh, and, and start to move forward. Um, Dawn has been working on some wonderful podcasts that you can access through her website at Dawn Damon, D-A-M-O-N, Dawn, D-A-W-N, DawnDamon.com. Um, she does the Bravehearted Woman podcast, and um, she's been working through many of the steps of acknowledging the grieving process, going through the grieving process, recognizing that you're uncomfortable, embracing that, and then what it takes to begin to step out again in faith, how to exercise your courage muscle, how to name your fear, move beyond your fear, and most importantly, get that momentum going once again. Don Damon, we always appreciate the insights on the web at dawndamon.com, D-A-W-N-D-A-M-O-N.com. When we come back, we'll talk about how to use creativity as a means of getting that forward momentum moving. Mary Potter Kenyon joins us as Lifeline continues. Balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. Well, I drive a truck for a living. I don't get hardly any exercise. I'm not kidding you now. I'm not easily sold on anything, but I'm a firm believer in this product. You know, I watched those uh, advertisements for two or three years and listened to the radio going down the road, and I said, something's got to be going on with that product for that many people to do ads for them. And I'll tell you what, I, I just uptown a while ago, I told some of my buddies, I said, I'm not BSing you, man. I'm not kidding you. It's amazing. This totally amazes me. Experience the Balance of Nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751. That's 800-2468-751. Or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. I'm about to compare a pepper shaker to a cash-out refinance. Hang with me. You know when you're at a restaurant and they ask, would you like some fresh ground pepper? And then they crank that giant tube, but almost nothing comes out? For me, only a certain amount of time is socially acceptable to wait. I know that getting that pepper out might make my life better, but it just seems too impossible. And that's what we hear people say about the cash-out refinance. People realize that the value of their home has gone up like hot pepper the last few years, leaving all this extra money sitting inside their home. But is it too hard to get out? It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, and we are a family mortgage team committed to KFAX. 
If you're interested in cashing out the extra pepper in your home, we're good at doing all the work while you just sit back and relax. And often, your mortgage payment and years in the loan will stay the same. If you'd like to hear about your options, go to unitedfaithmortgage.com. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Mortgage Court, Melbourne, New York, NMLS number 1330, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. This is important news. If you have unfiled tax returns, the IRS is shifting gears and ramping up investigations on non-filers this year. If you fail to file your tax returns for a year or more or you owe back taxes, now's the time to call Optima Tax Relief before the IRS finds you. Optima is America's number one most trusted tax resolution firm, specialized in helping individuals, families, and businesses get right with the IRS. They're experts in the Taxpayer Relief Initiative, a powerful new program that can make resolving tax issues easier. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, Optima's award-winning team has helped thousands of people protect their paychecks, bank accounts, homes, and businesses by putting their tax problems to rest, resolving over $1 billion in tax debts for their clients. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-965-1433. 800-965-1433. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Have you ever thought you'd like to buy and sell houses but didn't know how or where to get the money? My name is Ron Legrand, and over the past 40 years, I've bought over 3,000 houses without using my money or credit and taught thousands to do the same. Today, even in a virtual environment, we buy nice houses and nice neighborhoods using no banks, realtors, contractors, or other costly entanglements, and build huge cash flow and wealth without the hassle of tenants, all without credit and little or no money. You don't need a license or experience, and I'll show you exactly how it's done. Text RON to 99799, and I'll send you my free training. I promise I'll change the way you think about real estate and open the door to a new lifestyle that doesn't involve risk or rehabs and can quickly replace your current income. Text RON to 99799, and let me show you how to take your life back and build cash flow and wealth from your home. That's Ron to 99799. Again, text Ron to 99799. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, so once we acknowledge the impact of COVID-19 over the last two years on all of our lives, we begin to embrace the reality of the grief that we are feeling instead of denying it. Moving forward, getting that momentum going again, well, oftentimes that's where folks get stuck. Mary, Mary Potter Kenyon joins us, a certified grief counselor and the author of seven books, including the award-winning Refined by Fire, A Journey of Grief and Grace, and her newest release, Called to be Creative, A Guide to Reigniting Your Creativity. Mary, welcome to the program. And boy, then the one nice thing of... Um, Having creativity in your life is not only a a healthy outlet in many respects, but as you suggest here, coming off of the pain of an experience that we've all gone through like COVID can often be the one thing that will help sort of get that fire going again, get that forward momentum in our lives. The big question is, if we don't inherently see ourselves as a creative person, we're not into artwork or whatever the case might be, or dance or music, how do we go about finding our our creative button and kindling it? Thank you so much for having me here tonight. Yes, um, so many of us do not see ourselves as creative, and and science and researchers have actually looked into what is creativity, you know, but so many of us think of 
creativity and as something that other people have. It's it's the person who has art in a museum or someone who um, plays beautiful music and is in a band or or whatever it is. That those are the creative people, right? That's that's what we see as um, people who are creative. But we all were created by a creator to be creative. It, it, we're designed for creativity, and you see that in children. We see that in our kids when they are getting their hands dirty in the dirt, or um, they don't care if they're cutting outside the lines or whatever. And if we can, uh, if we can look at what it was that made us come alive when we were children, or what we were naturally drawn to, and start working that into our lives again as adults, and whatever we lost some of that as children. And sometimes it takes something like the pandemic and COVID and the isolation that people experienced to make them look back to what it was that they loved as children, what it was they were drawn to, or those comforts of home, whatever it was. And they didn't, we don't see it as creativity necessarily, but that baking that people were turning to, the gardening and getting outdoors and getting our hands dirty in the dirt or maybe coloring with chalk on the sidewalks, things that we were naturally drawn back to. That's that's creativity. That's what we can work into our lives and into our into our jobs, into our home life. And we naturally do that. We naturally turn to that when we're going through tough times. So it sounds like, in a sense, we need to, number one, um, redefine or broaden our definition of creativity. And I think you're right, Mary. So often we tend to think of creativity as the end result of somebody's work that winds up, you know, in a museum, on a radio station, whatever the case might be, right. that it all tends to be something that fits in the quote-unquote classification of art. But in fact, creativity can be, as you point out, somebody that in the kitchen really knows how to whoop up, whip up a great pasta dish, that takes creativity, Planting things in the garden, painting, uh, you know, painting the bedroom. Uh, maybe it's a little bit on the boring side. More mm-hmm. it sounds like work, but for some people, yeah. that's a creative outlet. So it sounds like the big starting point is to reach into ourselves and really begin to explore what it is that gets us excited and that the definition of creativity doesn't have to be a very narrow one. Right. We need to broaden that and um look at what it was we are we're designed to do what is our purpose what is our passion and work some of those things into instead of waiting for our leisure time because none of us have leisure time to look at thinking outside of the box in our workplace or in coming up with solutions and those brainstorming sessions and that kind of thing that that's all creativity and when we talk about the ability of this creativity not only to distract us, how does it also help get our uh, our motivation back again, get that momentum in life back again, especially for so many folks that feel as if they've been kind of stuck on a shelf for the last two years? Yes, it's been tough for, for all of us and for so many of us. Um, we feel stuck, and especially those who have lost people during this time or um, it, it's it's tough, and a lot of us need something hands-on to get us moving again and jumpstart us and jumpstart that creativity. And, and science shows us, it demonstrates that being creative and doing what our, basically what our creator created us to do, whatever he designed us for, doing that um, makes us come alive, gives us, we get lost in a sense of flow if we can um, start working some of those things 
into our life again. And um, instead of thinking of it as something for leisure time, thinking of it as something that will make us happier, healthier, um, that, that's, what, that's what we need right now. That's what we all need right now is to find, and we all, you know, we need, all need that in our lives, is to discover a purpose and our passion. And uh, it doesn't have to be the museum quality piece or the, the music uh, in front of an opera or whatever. It can be very simple things and start to play again. If we can get past that idea that as adults we might fail at something, start to work play into our life. And there's very a lot of healing qualities to playing or to being creative. And that's why some of hospitals and people who work with veterans will sometimes work creativity into um, some of these healing things is because they've discovered that the veterans experience less post-traumatic syndrome when they're um, doing some of these things or if you're going through cancer treatment, being creative might help you get through the treatments. You might do better physically, emotionally, and it works for all of us in all of our in our life. And, you know, thinking of that, again, in sort of redefining creativity, we also think that that tends to suggest it's, it's a result of some work product that then's put on display for others to see. Your mm-hmm. creativity might be watercolors that you would be embarrassed to ever show anyone else, mm-hmm. and yet you really enjoy it. Maybe you're somebody that, you know, you sit there by the telephone and you pick up a pad and a pen, and before you know it, you've covered an entire page with little stick figures and doodling and drawings and things mm-hmm. of that sort. It's not anything that's ever going to get framed and put at the, you know, New York Museum of Modern Art, but who cares? It's a creative outlet, and it can give you a sense of joy. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that leading to reigniting that fire, so to speak, getting that forward momentum going again, that really is the ultimate goal here, isn't it? So it's not about how fancy or clever or talented you are, but whether or not you're having fun. Right. And we we forgot how to do that. We forgot how to have fun. And the doodlers and the daydreamers are among us got in trouble for doodling and daydreaming when we were kids. And that's part of why some of us stopped doing that is we weren't, um, we, we were thinking outside of the box and daydreaming and doodling. But if we can do that now as adults, we will be happier for it. And, you know, the thought comes to mind too, to kind of help folks broaden this definition in their minds. You might be somebody who your, your creative outlet is organization. If you're the person who says, you know what, when I'm done organizing the spice rack alphabetically, I stand back and I have such a sense of accomplishment. Well, you know what, if that's your creative outlet, then, you know, bully for you and, you know, enjoy it to the gusto. Alphabetize the spice rack and then go into the pantry and do the same thing there. You know, it it really, I think we need to be less outcome-oriented as we focus mm-hmm. on what we think others are going to think about it and just ask ourselves the question whether or not it's something we get enjoyment out of. Right, and we have to stop thinking that if it doesn't make us money, it's there's no value in it because the value is in the doing and in the experiencing and in what it will do for us mentally, physically, emotionally. Exactly. So, you know, the advice is 
Exercise that creative muscle, whatever it might be for you. Take some time, if you're not sure what it is, to go out there and, and experiment and, and think about the things in the past that you've done that really was an enjoyable outlet for you, and then go and do and embrace it. Mary Potter Kenyon, with some insights on the topic, she's getting a new book out called Called to Be Creative, A Guide to Reigniting Your Creativity, and you can get information about ordering the book through uh, usual suspects, Amazon, or through Mary's website at Mary, Mary Potter Kenyon, spelled K-E-N-Y-O-N, MaryPotterKenyon.com. Mary, thanks so much for sharing your insights, and I hope we get some folks motivated out there to uh, get that creative muscle flexing once again, and get that forward momentum in life that all of us need to get enjoyment out of life. 601 from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.